2: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Conspiracy theories are not new, but with globalisation, perhaps they're more powerful than ever. And one of the most absurd and yet important is QAnon. It has so many adherents in the US, including some members of Congress, that it is impossible to ignore and impossible not to wonder where it might lead. And these are questions that Sophia Moskalenko has asked for her book Pastels and Paedophiles, Inside the Mind of QAnon. So Sophia, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. How did you get into this topic in the first place, tell us?
0: I have spent my career researching uh, radicalization and terrorism and psychology behind both of those. And so uh, when... QAnon followers threatened the Hoover Dam uh, in the United States. They came on the U.S. government's radar as uh, you know people who produce terrorist threats based on ideology. And so I uh, and my colleague Mia Bloom were invited to work on and and research and enlighten the U.S. government about QAnon and you know what we need to worry about and what we can do about it.
1: Can you just uh, help us, first of all, with some of the basic facts, the basic history? When did QAnon start?
0: So this is not as simple a question as it might seem. Um, One thing we know is that the first Q drop, or or one of these cryptic messages that um, served as as kind of bait for people to discuss and, and build conspiracy theories around, appeared on one of the messenger apps uh, like 4chan and Qchan um, in late 2017. Um, The fact that uh, letter Q featured um, uh, in the uh, the name of the person posting suggested that this person had a high-level U.S. government clearance lending some gravitas to whatever claims they might have been making. And then, of course, Anon is the anonymous nature of these these um, chat platforms. Um, and then over the COVID lockdowns, um, QAnon messages and the discussions around them spilled over from these fringes of the internet that most of us have never had any uh, dealings with to mainstream platforms like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter. Um, But the reason I said this question is not as straightforward as it might seem, is that a lot of the conspiracy theories that are entertained by QAnon followers and, and believed by them, they are very old. Some of them are centuries old, some of them are decades old. Um, and so, what QAnon did was just kind of collected a lot of this folklore under its umbrella, and introduced some new folklore into the mix, and invited people to do their own research and connect the dots, and to produce explanations for these, you know, very cryptic and, and um, almost insane-sounding uh, messages that that are called Q drops.
1: Yeah, and just to explain the, the the point you made at the beginning there. The letter Q denotes a high security clearance. Can you just talk us through that?
0: Yeah, it's it's a government clearance from the Department of Energy um, that really doesn't have anything to do with government secrets that might you know come onto the desk of somebody who works, for example, in the CIA. But the lay people wouldn't know the difference. Just the fact that you know there is a high level government clearance that is called you know Q level clearance was enough to convince a lot of people that this was a legitimate source of secret government information.
1: And is it your impression that uh, this began with or, or continued with one person who was either queue cleared, if that's the phrase, or was pretending to be Q cleared and dropping these messages and dropping these clues of how people might investigate uh, the world and his ideas? Was it an individual or is it a group?
0: Um, investigative journalists have done some good work looking into this question. There was a documentary by HBO and by NBC, um, where they have attempted to trace the messages to a person or people. And the best we can tell it's, it's at least two people probably that we know who were doing the posting now whether and how they might have been connected with other people who either fed them information or you know funded their you know little enterprise or you know in other ways encouraged them to produce or maintain this large following um we don't really know
1: but it's probably worth asking at this stage what the motives of that individual or two people uh were i mean is it money is it just the you know, the fun of doing it. Is it power? What, what what's driving this?
0: Right. So I think it's worth asking qui bono. Right. So um, there's definitely some monetary gain um, by by people who are the lead figures, so to speak, in um, in the QAnon movement. There's a lot of merchandise with the Q logo. Um, there is uh, enough donations from QAnon followers to support political campaigns of, you know, candidates into Congress and into local elections. And of course, there is uh, political power that uh, is driven by these millions of people, uh, even by the most conservative estimates. Still, you know, over 10 million people in the United States who are QAnon followers and who, you know, vote in local elections and in their, you know, school board elections and in the federal elections.
1: I I mean, I guess that's in a way is why we're talking about this, because so many people uh, believe in it. Uh, uh, And, you know, win elections on the basis of it. So can you just give us a bit more detail on that uh, we'll get into what they believe in just a moment but in terms of the influence of the movement you're talking you just said there are millions of followers how many in congress for example uh
0: well we know two of the most visible people in congress who are on record supporting QAnon conspiracy theories are marjorie taylor green and lauren Boebert. and marjorie taylor green in particular. Um, I think that's part of her, uh, appeal to her base is to spew these, you know, really outlandish stories. Like she, for example, um, endorsed the idea that, uh, there are space lasers in outer space that are controlled by Jews and are used to, um, to cause forest fires in California in order to make way for a super speed, um, railway, you know, that, presumably the Jews would benefit from. Um, And, you know, they both uh, have endorsed this idea directly and indirectly about the cabal of um, Satan worshipping pedophile and sadists who have taken over the American government and mass media and Donald Trump as a savior figure who would rid us of this, this horrible cabal. Um, And so, you know, it it is reasonable to um, to conclude that the uh, the number of white women um, who voted for Donald Trump um, in greater numbers in 2020 than they did in 2016 was in part the result of this QAnon's messaging that um, emphasized uh, child kidnapping and child torture and child sexual abuse. Um, and spread through a lot of uh, networks that were popular among women that, you know, were um, yoga or essential oil channels on, on YouTube or, um, you know, vaccine hesitant parenting groups. Um, so I think both Boebert and Green are leveraging um, that population's interest in it and their investment in it.
1: And and do you have, I mean, maybe you can't really answer this, but do, do you get the impression that those two women who've benefited electorally from this actually believe this stuff? Or are they just incredibly cynical and getting into power on the basis of these crazy ideas?
0: Yeah, I, I don't have a view into their brain. Maybe thank God for that, <laughs> you know. Um, I just think, you know, when it's when the benefits are so clear, like why should we look for any other reason for them to endorse uh, conspiracy theories than their own political advancement and the financial benefits from it?
1: And and you you sort of mentioned two of the big themes: anti-Semitism, and a, a sort of fear of what's happened. To children, are those the two core elements of the of, of the QAnon belief structure?
0: Yes, indeed, and in fact, that is um, you know the conspiracy theory that I that I kind of referred to in passing that has been around for centuries. It started out as a uh, pamphlet that was written uh, at the direction of the Russian Russian Imperial Government um, in the late 18th century called the protocols of elders of Zion that detailed a conspiracy by Jewish elders to kidnap Gentile children for ritualistic torture and in order to drink their blood. Um, and it has been used as a tool to mobilize, uh, populations to pogroms against Jewish settlements and and Jewish individuals. Um, over, you know, the past, whatever, centuries. Um, and so this is a new incarnation of a very old tale. Uh, it also features Jews. It also features blood-drinking, you know, ritualistic circles. Um, it's, it's new and improved version. So it includes, you know, people like Tom Hanks and Lady Gaga and the Pope, you know. <laughs> but it's definitely um, using the old tropes.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you're, I mean, that's the sort of blood libel, isn't it? I mean, and, and there's actually a fascinating sort of modern version of the QAnon version of the blood libel. Can you just talk us through that with the EpiPen story?
0: Right. So the idea that QAnon uh, promotes and, and the people believe in is that uh, there is a substance, a chemical substance that is released um, if you torture a child that is released by their body into their bloodstream. And that if it's consumed, the substance that they refer to as adrenochrome, um, then it has all kinds of health benefits. It can make you strong and it can give you energy and almost superpowers. And so th- they claim that the cabal uh, kidnaps and tortures children with a purpose of harvesting adrenochrome from from their blood. Um, and, and so, again, this this. Leans on centuries-old tropes, uh, including, you know, vampire stories, right? Uh, but also the blood libel um, that accuses some population uh, that you're unhappy with, whether it's, you know, Roma people or gypsies or, you know, maybe a woman who is too smart for her own good, so you want to try her for witchcraft, um, of this horrible thing of... of uh, Torturing the most innocent person um, and doing the, the, the most horrible thing, you know, impossible, which is drinking their blood. The addition of adrenochrome is this kind of new agey twist on, on this old tale. Um, adrenochrome does exist. Uh, it is a, a chemical substance uh, that you know is produced uh, by a normal human organism. It does not give you superpowers at all um even if you did inject synthetic adrenochrome into your bloodstream you would not become stronger or more vital or smarter or any of those things but interestingly it has been featured adrenochrome had been featured in three different um hollywood movies um including fear and uh fear and uh
1: fear and loathing in las vegas fear and loathing in las vegas yes hunter s thompson
0: Uh, Right, so it is part of the mainstream American uh, culture in the sense that we probably have heard of it at one point um, and just forgot where we have heard of it, and so it's it's what uh, you know Stephen Colbert called
1: "truthy." You know, it it sounds like truth, you know, even though it's not. Uh, So, so uh, I I don't know if you heard one of my uh, BBC colleagues. Uh, Gabriel Gatehouse, he did a, a podcast on the insurrection and the far-right movement in the US and the Proud Boys and all that. And he had a fascinating uh, account of a 15th century book by a man called Heinrich Kramer, called The Hammer of Witches. And it was full of sort of conspiracy theories about witches and the devil and quite a few parallels. And, and, and uh, yeah, lots of stuff about children being killed and tortured. And it became a huge bestseller, you know, like he said, the second best-selling book to the Bible for uh, over 100 years. And and it seems that it it was it came just at the time as the printing press, that was one of his points, that the technology changed just as this book came out, just as the technology has changed with social media. Are, are you aware of that and, and those kind of parallels?
0: Yeah, and, and that book was instrumental in, in, in inspiring and justifying a wave of witch trials that killed an unknown number of women, most of them for no reason other than, you know, somebody was jealous of them, or maybe they expressed an opinion that the local priest was not happy with. Uh, So it became a, it it was a conspiracy theory that became a justification for very real um, horrors that befell a a particular segment of the population, um, which was also true of Protocols of Zion um, and you know we don't have the same kind of magnitude of, of horrors that come come out of QAnon folklore, but we do have a growing number of horrific crimes that have been perpetrated by QAnon followers um, and justified by their beliefs. So there was an individual who took their two very young children, you know, toddlers really across the border from the U.S. into Mexico. And there he slaughtered them because he believed that they had lizard blood in them. There was somebody who killed their brother because they believed of um, their, you know, lizard blood. There was a woman who drowned her three children because she believed that they were destined for the cabal and the torture and the sexual abuse. And it would be better for them if they were dead by her hand. Than you know to go through this destiny that she believed was in the cards for them, um, and so yeah, there is a tradition of of these
1: uh, folk tales uh, being used as justification for for very real horrors. It's interesting that um, you know that this point about the technology changing and the printing press uh, parallel with social media. Have you thought about any other societal conditions that might encourage this kind of widespread belief in conspiracy theories of this, yeah, you know, of this extremity?
0: Yeah, and it's it's right there in the data. If you look at the engagement of people with QAnon content on online, um, and, and you track that engagement over time, the graph is is fairly flat from the first Q-drop in 2017. Until about 2019, there's a tiny little, you know, increment over, you know, over whatever, two years or a little less than that. Um, so, you know, a little more people uh, watched it, um, you know, every month. But then as the government instituted COVID lockdowns, there is a geometrical progression. The jump just, uh, the graph just jumps up. Um, there's a 600 plus percent increase in engagement. And so it is Undeniable that the covid um virus itself um, all of the unknowns around it and the fear that we all experienced uh, you know it was a deadly disease that we knew nothing about we didn't know if there was ever going to be a cure or a vaccine we didn't know how it was transmitted or how to guard against it um that all of those contributed um, to the appeal of QAnon, as well as the isolation and the loneliness that we experienced in lockdowns, where our only window into the world was really the computer screen. Um, And it is also a documented fact that computer algorithms on on social media um, that were designed to maximize engagement prioritized QAnon content because it kept people glued to the screen. it took only three or four clicks to go from a very reasonable inquiry into COVID or COVID vaccines or Donald Trump as a presidential candidate to get to honest to goodness QAnon conspiracy theories, and so this perfect storm, you know, of our the emotional turmoil that we were all experiencing, which we know from psychology research, um, increases the likelihood of people believing conspiracy content, Um, add to that, the isolation and loneliness of the lockdowns and the algorithms, um, job in bringing QAnon content in front of people, all of that added up, um, and for a sizable proportion of the population gave them the answer to a lot of unsettling questions, gave them the comfort that they were seeking and gave them the community that they were so sorely lacking.
1: Right. And, and th- so this is so interesting because, you know, a rational person looking at these beliefs would just say there's no evidence for them whatsoever. They're clearly bonkers and, and you know, and reject them. Uh, so they would see these ideas as chaotic and, and silly. But the people who believe in them see them as creating order in chaos. Exactly the opposite, really. Is that, is that right?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's very subjective, of course, what is orderly and what is chaotic, um, I think uh, the 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 uncertainty that came from COVID and and from just like not knowing what our lives were going to look like and and how long it was going to last and how the economy was going to turn out and how all of us were going to fare um, that uncertainty was very painful and for a lot of people it needed some sort of an explanation and a plan to make them feel better and. I think that's what QAnon content and the community around it provided for them. Um, it told them who is responsible, uh, who is benefiting from all of this hardship that we're going through. Um, it told them who is fighting against it. So, you know, it gave them hope that somebody is going to address all of these issues. And it gave them an idea for how to move forward. You know, you can support Donald Trump and he's going to take down the cabal and and they're going to make sure that everything was going to be good again.
1: So do you see this set of beliefs as in some ways parallel to religious belief? Well, is QAnon at the early stages of becoming a new religion?
0: There are people who have written that and you know who might be um better positioned to opine on that point i i am not uh, i am not entirely sure what makes something a religion as opposed to a cult um as opposed to um just a set of beliefs that one has there are definitely elements of blind faith in QAnon following you have to just take things on faith but then again, we take a lot of things on faith. Uh, like for example, you know, I, I take a lot of science, um, without having myself run the experiment and observe the results, um, including the fact that the earth is round and, you know, it revolves around the sun. I take that on faith because, you know, I, I kind of believe in the scientific method and then the people who work in science, but if I stopped believing in the scientific method and if I disbelieved um, in the um, honesty and, and uh, good intentions of people who advance science, you know, maybe I would have to stop believing in all of these things that are just at this moment solid for me and I would have to go somewhere else. And I think that's what happened for a lot of QAnon followers.
1: There's another way of getting at all of this, which is to, to, to think about who the people are who 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 follow QAnon because something like 90% plus are basically on the right aren't they but you know the 6% on the left and from what from what I could gather those on the left it it sort of mirrors the vaccination debate you know there's a sort of hippie element who think vaccines are unnatural and that you know you shouldn't put things that sort of pollution in your body is that the 6% on the left who who also go for QAnon is there an overlap there?
0: Probably I I would have to have, you know, better data than we have at the moment to really answer definitively. So QAnon followers are not very interested in talking to scientists for reasons that might be already obvious from what we discussed. So we, we just kind of rely on these uh, massive polls that sample representative, uh, you know, groups of people, but we can't really, you know, have a nice involved interview study with qanon followers and and really dig deep into their motivations and explanations for these and so we just kind of have to you know do the best we can with the limited data we have
1: and what tell us more yeah tell us as far as you can go what have you understood about who what types of people embrace these qanon beliefs
0: so uh uh, one thing that i want to say before i do that is um is to, to just make it clear that intelligence doesn't seem to be a factor in, in what we know about following QAnon. So I think an easy escape hatch for just thinking about QAnon as a phenomenon is to say, oh, it's just stupid people who believe these things. But it doesn't seem to be the case at all because, you know, QAnon followers have among them people with PhDs and MDs and law degrees and they're successful business owners and politicians. And so it's not fair to say that, you know, it's something to do with intelligence. From research that we have, um, there are a couple of personality variables that seem to turn up a lot more often among QAnon followers than among people who don't believe QAnon. And these include narcissism. So believing that the world kind of revolves around you and agreeableness. Uh, So, you know, people who believe in QAnon tend to not be very easy to get along with, right? So, you know, they don't shy away from conflict. Um, They might even enjoy it. Um, They won't get... Like agree to just get along with somebody. We know from the composition of QAnon followers who came to the January sixth insurrection event in in Washington DC that there was a much larger than expected by chance number of people with previously diagnosed mental health issues, and and these ranged broadly from. Uh, substance addictions, to depression, anxiety, PTSD, but also bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. A lot of QAnon followers tend to be in what we call in the US battleground states, so uh, not you know fully red states and not fully blue Democratic states, but rather states where all of these election issues, you know, abortion and uh, trans rights and um, all of all of the things that um, are wedge issues are still very much relevant in their election cycles. There is no age, it seems, that that QAnon uh, is most uh, interested in. It's you know between eighteen and eighty, really. It seems like maybe women are you know slightly more overrepresented among QAnon believers. And in comparison to other radical groups, they're definitely very much overrepresented among QAnon believers. In other words, when we're looking at any other radical movement, we tend to find a lot of men and not a lot of women. That's just a fact. But when we look at QAnon, you know, women are maybe a little over 50 percent of QAnon followers. And I think that may have something to do with the kinds of messaging that, as I mentioned, QAnon really emphasized that included child kidnapping and torture and sexual abuse that may be especially important to women.
2: I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus, and keto. These are two minute meals,
1: Slash NBN50 to get 50% off. Some of the things you've said, like swing states, mental health, yeah, a whole range of mental health issues. It's very hard to, I mean, maybe you've thought it through and, and have an answer to this, but it's hard to see why, you know, a swing state would produce more QAnon believers, isn't it? If I had to venture a
0: guess, I would suggest that living in a swing state there are a lot more moral and political uncertainties than when you live in a clearly blue state like California or in a clearly red state like Texas. You know, when you live in Pennsylvania, your next door neighbor may have Trump flags and, you know, the thin blue line flags. And, you know, your neighbor across the street may have, you know, all kinds of uh, democratic issues plastered on their car and their front windows. And being in the middle of this unsettled, you know, debate on things that are emotionally rousing, uh, maybe particularly motivating for some people to go in search of things that settle these issues once and for all. And that's maybe what QAnon did for them.
1: Exactly. So that relates to what you're saying earlier about order. So it's sort of like getting over uncertainty, resolving uncertainty, giving answers that explain everything i guess you know at some level resolving is it is it also i think you said in the book it's resolving personal it's people with personal crises are particularly prone to believe in this
0: yeah it's what we in psychology we call this unfreezing when outside circumstances completely upend whatever you believed in the future you envisioned for yourself the ideas about what is right and what is wrong, who is a legitimate authority, and what is your place in the world. And so things that can lead to unfreezing in individual life trajectories can be, you know, losing your job, losing your spouse, relocating and and kind of being completely socially disconnected, or all of these things together, you know. So, for example, a lot of military veterans experience unfreezing after they return home to, to you know to their peaceful lives, because they have lost all of their social connections that they had while they were serving. They have lost the structure in their lives that the military maintained for them. They have lost the meaning that the, their service gave them. And, you know, so they, they go to all kinds of things in order to, find relief from this unfreezing. And and so, for example, Ashley Babbitt, the woman who died at the January 6th insurrection, was in exactly this situation. And as a former military veteran, QAnon became such a lifesaver for her. But, you know, of course, radical beliefs or radical action is not the only way out of unfreezing. And also in the larger scheme of things, you know, I, I want to put out this idea that as a society, we're going through a kind of unfreezing with so much changing so fast. You know, the technology that even 20 years ago was unthinkable, now being just inextricable from our daily functioning. The different minority groups that were invisible, um, you know, 50 years ago, now um getting prominent positions in in you know politics and public discourse and just you know the scandals that that resulted from the, this uncovering of decades long sexual abuses in in first catholic church and then all the other religious denominations that definitely resulted in serious unfreezing among people who were part of those traditions and held them as moral standards and could no longer do so. And so, at the time when QAnon appeared, we had a whole large part of our population all experiencing some sort of unfreezing that may have resulted from their personal life trajectory, like Ashley Babbitt's. Or maybe, you know, if you looked at their life precisely, there wouldn't be anything so dramatic, but they have experienced unfreezing from just finding themselves in a country that they don't recognize finding their life in a place that they didn't expect and didn't know what to do with and finding themselves, you know, kind of losing a grip on on whom to trust, you know, what to wish for, where to go in the future. And QAnon gave them answers to all of those things.
1: These are are great explanations, which I think really help me understand what's going on. I just wondered, I mean, as, as part of a question I wanted to ask you on how QAnon fairs around the world is the US particularly susceptible in that there is you know this stress on the individual rather than the community and this great belief in free speech and tearing down authority and challenging those in power does all that lead to you know compared to many other countries a, a, a less community less social order. And that's part of it.
0: I think so. So it it is not the only place where QAnon has a sizable following the US. It's also very present in Canada and in Australia and in the UK and to a lesser degree, really around the world. But the US is probably where it has the largest following percent wise and, and just, you know, in absolute numbers. And I think you've pinpointed some very legitimate possible explanations for why that is the case. I can add some others to it. One is the growing isolation that an average American experiences um, and the loneliness that comes from it. Just the infrastructure in this country is uh, built for individualist uh, life. You know, we live in single family homes, mostly we drive individual cars as opposed to public transit we're just increasingly surrounded by comforts that at the same time as being comforting are also walls around us and, and, and a, an average american male has zero close friends right now whereas even 50 years ago this was completely different an average american male had about two friends you know and on surveys of of loneliness Americans fare a lot worse than Europeans, probably for for all of the above reasons. You know, they score like 40% of Americans report that they are extremely lonely. Um, And the corresponding number in, in Europe is less than 10%. So we know, again, from empirical research that loneliness and isolation are conditions that make anybody a little more likely to embrace, entertain, and believe conspiratorial content. And and taking into account what I already told you about, you know, the COVID lockdown's role in this, I think it's important to consider the isolation and loneliness Americans feel as a factor in their flocking to QAnon. And I also think over the past, you know, 20 or 30 years, there was this gradual erosion of a national myth uh, that can be quite disorienting and painful. You know, we... we believed in the american dream you know that just if you work hard you will be able to get a life that is everything that hollywood blockbuster movies show you you know and we've arrived at this place where you know we have all of these beautiful things that we couldn't even dream of you know smartphones and internet and social networks but we're more miserable it seems than our parents generation And so, you know, this idea of the American dream, you know, raises a lot of questions for a lot of people who who told us that, you know, who stole it from us? What is the reason that we can't have, you know, a single family home and two cars with just one person in the household working like they did in the 50s? And the answers QAnon gives to that is that, you know, it's it's the minorities that take our jobs and it's the corrupt politicians. Um, It's it's all these people that conspire to take good things away from us. And if we just fight them, we'll be able to make America great again and restore this former glory that I think was largely a myth that was only possible because of the suffering of, of a lot of minorities. But Yeah.
1: Just, just as you were speaking there, I was, you were talking about the American dream. I think I could hear an American train, was it? A very, <laughs> a very typical American sound in the background.
0: I'm sorry about that. No, yes. no
1: problem. I just wanted to explain what was going on. Where, where are you speaking from?
0: Pennsylvania, a battleground state. A,
1: a few questions about the future of, of QAnon. Uh, well, first of all, is it still growing or has it reached a plateau or is it declining?
0: It seems that the engagement is pretty stable. Um, In the data that I collect, I see a tendency for participants who believe in conspiracy theories to kind of distance themselves from the idea of QAnon. So if I ask them about eight different conspiracy theories, how much do they believe them? And they answer, they believe it in the extreme, you know, seven on a seven point scale for all eight, only half of these believers then also say, I think of myself as a QAnon follower. Right, so there's possibly some stigma. Possibly they are worried about being identified by, you know, the government or security services in light of the charges that are being publicized about people who participated in January sixth insurrection and so on. But I think whether or not QAnon as as we know it is continue is going to continue. I think this population that became QAnon followers is not going to stop disbelieving the government, is not going to stop disbelieving science or the democratic institutions. They might find a different set of conspiracies or a different set of beliefs or a different set of political leaders. But unless we address the issues that brought them to QAnon, we're not going to solve the problem of them not really participating in our society and in our democracy.
1: Well, okay, so so that's that's important. You know, what kind of policy proposals could undermine support for QAnon? But just before that, what happens when yeah you know, a president believes in this, which is not totally impossible, is it? I mean, I, Trump didn't really ever believe in QAnon, did he? He just sort of encouraged it because it, it put him in such a central position, presumably.
0: Yeah, again, I I don't have a window into his mind. And again, thank God for that. Uh, But uh, he did endorse QAnon, um, if for no other reason is because they supported him, which is consistent with his, you know, general character. So in a way, it doesn't even matter if he genuinely believed it, right? What matters is this ultimate authority figure endorses a set of completely unfounded and frankly, occasionally crazy Uh, alternative facts.
1: When you say solve the problems that um, give cause to people believing in QAnon, that, that suggests restoring the American dream. It suggests addressing loneliness. It suggests, yeah, these very broad social policy objectives.
0: I don't know what to tell you, except that that's what the data show. And Shouldn't we address these broad problems at one point? I think, you know, there are things that we can do that are not terribly expensive and that would benefit everybody, you know, like bringing some industries back into regions that are completely depressed now because all the manufacturing is overseas, you know, or bringing some meaning into people's lives in terms of you know, engaging with pro-social things like local volunteering, which would also address the loneliness epidemic, giving people places to meet other people without spending money, you know, giving people the ability to mingle and make conversation. We don't have a lot of that. And it would be great to have that. And it might even have, you know, some positive effects on conspiracy beliefs.
1: You've also got more sort of pragmatic yeah, tactical suggestions in the books. One one of the obvious ones is social media companies, social media platforms adjusting their algorithms so they don't promote these messages quite as uh, actively as, as they have been. Uh, I mean, I think that's happening, isn't it?
0: I think they have been tweaking their algorithms uh, since January 6th. Um, the problem is that I think we need to be talking about and addressing is a complete lack of transparency about exactly how they've been tweaking the algorithms or how we got to the disastrous place with these algorithms before January 6th. We are not able to see the data that they accumulate. Um, They don't let researchers uh, onto their platforms. And as big as they've become in most of our lives, as invested as we are time wise and emotion wise and politically into all of these platforms they really need to be overseen by somebody whose motivation is more than just uh, financial gain for these social media giants because it's it seems that very often their financial gain is our psychological and cultural loss and so we need a third party who would you know be able to First, see what's going on on the inside, which they don't let us. And then, you know, have the authority to introduce legislation that would bind them by rules that are to everybody's benefits and not just theirs.
1: One of the uh, very practical suggestions you make in the book, which helps give an insight into into what's going on, is uh, you use an, uh, a sort of example of junk food. That it, it, It's no good saying, saying to someone, just don't eat it. it. It doesn't really work. But if you say the company that makes the junk food is tricking you and is sort of making you want to eat it and it, it's a conspiracy against you, uh, people are more receptive to that. And and, and similarly with QAnon, right? The, if, if you don't hit it directly saying you're stupid to believe this stuff, but say that you're, you're being played, that's more convincing.
0: Right. So the idea, this is old research that have yielded very good results in a variety of domains, not just junk food, but also, you know, alcohol consumption and smoking and so on, is to leverage people's natural kind of curiosity and and paranoia, if you will, to their benefit. So, you know, people who suspect the government of wrongdoing or suspect, you know, big, uh, big tech of wrongdoing they can use that capacity, you know, of, of suspiciousness and and closer scrutiny, when they're encountering messaging from QAnon or other, you know, malicious um, groups or or organizations. So this is called the inoc- inoculation, uh, political inoculation, um, and it it would help if if we could have some sort of an outreach effort that you know, would be delivered in schools um, or somehow through, you know, mass media to get to people especially vulnerable, like children and adolescents and and older people who are really not always able to do the kind of discerning and and, and research to identify good sources from bad.
1: You began this conversation, putting this issue in the context of radicalization, and just occurs to me that one thing governments have done, I don't, I don't know in the U.S., but in the U.K., one of the approaches of government was to get former violent jihadists who had moved away from that to tour British mosques, schools, places with young Muslims and to, you know, to get them to, to say it, to say, look, I used to believe in this stuff, but I, I, I've, I, I don't anymore. And here's why. And this is why I think it was wrong. Is there a parallel in in QAnon like that, the people who, who've moved away from it uh, being used as persuasive for those who are still in it?
0: There is a small group of these former QAnon believers, uh, I'm not going to name their names because they can be quite litigious, um, who have been all over the news because they give numerous interviews, they appear on uh, talk shows and, you know, on news. Uh, to tell their story, unfortunately, we have to take into consideration the fact that I have mentioned that, you know, people drawn to QAnon tend to be more narcissistic than a random person on the street. And so I worry that some of these people just indulge their narcissism with the attention that they get, given that, you know, this is very topical, and there is a lot of news interest. Um, and I don't know if they get paid for it or not, but I am not entirely certain that they're always well-intentioned or that they really have the perspective necessary to to tell the audience, you know, this was wrong and this is why.
1: It, it's, it's been, I have to say, a quite challenging interview for me this because it's such a new topic. And, you know, you it, it really feel you're grappling with something quite important, but uh, I just don't know anything about it. So it's been really interesting, but it just occurs to me, is there anything, as you think back to the hour we've just had talking about it, 45 minutes we've had talking about it, is there anything you think has been, that's missing or people get the wrong impression? Uh, you know, would you like to leave us with a thought about how we should think about this that may not have come across?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I want to mention that we've done a study of not QAnon followers, but just random people, hundreds of random people that we asked whether they knew anybody who was a QAnon follower and if so, what kind of relationship they had with that person. And we were just stunned at the rate of, you know, the the, the number of people who had a very long relationship with somebody who became a QAnon follower. It was 80% in our study. And furthermore, we found that people who had a loved one who became a QAnon follower tended to have some sort of a fallout with that person, which resulted in a whole lot of negative emotions and their views about the society in general, you know, changing. Um, And these people report more anxiety and more psychological trauma than people who didn't have a QAnon loved one. So QAnon, um, you know, as fascinating as it may be, and as, you know, niche uh, as it may be, has really broad Um, ripples in the society that are are damaging psychologically and um, that are yet unresolved in any meaningful way. Um, And so I want to just, you know, leave with the idea that there's a whole lot of people who are suffering in very real ways from QAnon without believing in it, you know, who have lost somebody, not in the sense of that person dying, but in the sense of that person not being in their social circle anymore and who experience pain as a result of it and um, who are themselves, you know, stirred and, you know, are unfrozen in a way. And so I think that QAnon as a phenomenon needs to be viewed in this broader sense, you know, as a society
1: in large. That would be a very good place to end. But I just have to ask you, I don't quite understand that 80% number because surely if there are about 10 million QAnon followers in the US, it can't be 80% of the population of, what is it, you know, nearly 300 million or something who have a, a loved one who's in it.
0: I didn't say 10 million, right? So uh, there are different estimates. And you know some of the representative national polls like Pew or um, Ipsos, they put the percentage like around 15%. So 15 out of uh, 280 right. million American adults yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. is about 45 million. Right. right. And if you think about an average person, they probably have more than one person who is their family. You know, they might have a spouse, children, f- parents, brothers, sisters. So the number of people who have a QAnon loved one is going to be magnitudes more than the number of actual QAnon followers
1: just by, you know, simple estimation. So, so, so yes, a massive phenomenon. Yes. Thank you so much for explaining it to us, and uh, that's Sophia Moskalenko. It's been uh, very you know, interesting uh, to 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 learn about it and to try and work out, you know, what's happening and, and why this is happening. So thank you very much indeed.
0: You're very welcome. Thank you.
2: 18- us.